You are listening to Artistic Finance, Show 80. On today's show, I chat about NFTs with Bob Boniel, the founder of the experience creation company Mode Studios and its newest edition, MetaMode. We discuss how NFTs are currently being used and how they are projected to be used in the future for live events and theater. We discuss the metaverse, how it is working now and where it's headed. Bob talks about creating his own NFT related to opera and gives an actionable challenge to me and to you, the listener. If we use any terms that are unfamiliar, be sure to listen to our previous episode, NFTs for Newbies. Links to everything we discuss is in the show notes or at artisticfinance.com. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. We're recording this December 16th, 2021. The Omicron variant is spiking and causing a lot of Broadway shows to cancel their performances, but Broadway is staying open and masks are being worn indoors, proof of vaccination required, and the Met Opera just recently announced that boosters for the vaccine are required to attend shows at Lincoln Center. And of course, the holiday season is here and giving gifts is totally unnecessary. But if you find yourself inclined, let me suggest that you put an investment into your retirement account for yourself or give somebody else money for their retirement account. And if you don't know how to give it and you think it might be awkward, it's really quite simple. You say, I'd like to give you this money to put into your Roth IRA. And don't go spend it on Broadway or show tickets or streaming the lighthearted comedy Hot Mess Holiday, which... It's not a rom-com, but is a com, and I watched it not once, but twice this past weekend. But make sure you put it into a safe investment, and then let me know which one. And that's how you can do that. And speaking of, about what to invest in, I don't recommend anything, but a couple weeks ago, I had mentioned the low-cost S&P 500 ticker IVV. And somebody pointed out to me that there is another S&P 500 ticker, SPLG, which has the same expense ratio, very low at 0.03%, but has a lower share cost. So IVV is roughly $500 per share, SPLG is roughly $55 per share. And so the cost of the share makes no difference on your return on investment because you put $110 into either one and you're gonna get the same return. However, if you have a retirement account that only allows you to purchase whole shares versus partial shares, SPLG is a way to get the S&P 500 for less. So all that to say welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today we have Bob Boniel. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. First off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I started out working in the theater. I'm really old, uh, so I started working in the theater in the 80s, uh, and I'm that rare animal uh, that, that came into the theater working as a technician. Uh, in my case, it was as a, a theatrical lighting technician. Uh, and then I worked my way up to eventually to lighting programmer and then to lighting designer, which is not a common path in theater anyway, much more common in concert touring. But but then I, I, I've i never seemed to be entirely content not aspiring to the next level. So I went from lighting designer, I, I became a production designer who focused on productions that had lots of the use of multimedia and interactivity, and thence on to becoming a creative director and a producer. And and some days I rue the day that I ever just left the, the simple joys of hanging lights in a dark theater. But here I am, nevertheless. So, um, and along the way, I started a company with my wife, Colleen, uh, that's called Mode Studios. 
And Mode is a production company. It is a, a, actually officially a hybrid experience agency. And we create and designed theatrical or live entertainment or live experiences for uh, the entertainment industry, for brand activation, which is a fancy word for conferences and trade shows, and also for architectural installations as well. And most recently in the last year, we've spun up a second company called MetaMode, which focuses on immersive embodied experiences in what people are beginning to call the metaverse which also includes, as it turns out, having coherent thinking and deploying things like blockchain, NFTs, and uh, tokens and cryptocurrencies, which uh, have become one of the most common questions that our clients ask us about in the last six months. All right. I love this. And you are the perfect person to be talking to today. <laughs> but still, before we get there, a couple more questions, which is your dating profile. Can you describe your demographics for us? Well, you can't find, you can neither swipe left or right with me. I've been married for almost uh, 25 years now to Colleen. She was the head electrician at Trinity Repertory when I wandered in at 18 years old uh, to find my first job in the theater in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, and uh, I knew instantly uh, I was struck by the lightning bolt that we hear Cher talk about in that lovely moon movie, <laughs> Moonstruck. And uh, yeah, so my dating demographics are unavailable, but <laughs> I, you know, I was born and grew up in Rhode Island, specifically in Cranston and Bristol, Rhode Island. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. In terms of geographic demographic, I have spent my entire life heading west. Uh, so I moved from Rhode Island first to New York City for quite a long time, where I worked on Broadway, worked on Off-Broadway, did a bunch of projects. Then from New York City, moved to Las Vegas. Uh, and then after Las Vegas, I settled in Seattle. All right. So, Bob, what is a live event that you like to experience or a piece of art that you like? What a what a great question, Ethan. I, I am and always will be a musical theater kid. Most of my theatrical career was touring with musicals. At first, as, as a head electrician, I have toured with The Sound of Music, with Gypsy, with Ziegfeld Follies, a whole bunch of shows, Fiddler on the Roof, Anything Goes. Basically, in the 90s, I spent much of my time touring. I, I, I moved to Las Vegas to be the lighting director for Starlight Express at the Las Vegas Hilton. Uh, and when I moved into design, my first designs were in theater and in musical theater specifically. You know, I designed the lighting for Victor Victoria at the Fifth Avenue Theater and on the national tour. I designed uh, lighting for Wizard of Oz, uh, for Cinderella, and, and then on into projection uh, for a bunch of musicals, including Godspell, Footloose, most recently uh, Catch Me If You Can on Broadway and on tour. I am a musical theater kid. My favorite form is still musical theater. I haven't actually done a musical in a few years now, which makes my heart hurt. But I've enjoyed other things to do, like concert touring and broadcast television, a little bit of opera in there. Opera is also another one of my favorite forms of live entertainment. For me, the, the top of the heap will always be 
a Broadway musical. And the excitement of hearing the overture, the curtain go up, and getting that opening number is is always going to make my heart race. Your financial personality, are you good or bad with money? Well, this is a hilarious question, and it demands a nuanced answer. I am really great with money in the sense that I have never run out of it. And I have an, an innate ability, it seems like, to find where money is going and to be there when it arrives. From the standpoint of, am I aware of what's happening in my financial picture? Uh, here in the home and in the business? Absolutely not. They keep me far away from it. Uh, it's uh, And that's because I'm, I'm mainly the creative director around here. That innate relationship with money makes me a really great chief marketing officer for the company and salesperson. I spot the projects, I spot where the cash is going and I put the company there. Colleen, who is my partner, my wife and the co-founder of Mode, she uh, runs our money situation, or more accurately, now that we're at the size where we actually have a CFO, Ashwini, uh, and she honestly runs the money uh, situation in terms of the day-to-day -day awareness. I will tell you this, in, in as much as that nuanced answer might show that I don't know a lot about money, here's what I do know. You have to be aware, right? Like that the most important thing I've learned about our cash flow, our financial planning, is to have visibility of what's happening. And although I don't get involved in the day-to-day -day with the money, one thing that is a fantastic thing that we have in the company and in our lives is a dashboard that Colleen has developed. She's actually got multiple dashboards. She's got like a 10-year plan dashboard, five-year plan dashboard, and what she calls her CEO dashboard, which allows her to see the current picture. But the more we know about where the money is going, where it's coming from, and what our plan in the interim is, the more we seem to be able to consistently grow it. So if I were going to offer any piece of financial advice, and I want to be clear, I'm not a financial advisor, uh, it would be to know what's going on. And the more you know it, the more you begin to have levers to pull to control it. I mean, that's great advice about the 10-year goals and the five-year goals. You know, whether you're below or above those goals, it's good to know where. I like to say that when we can measure things, we can move them. But if we don't measure them first, if we don't have an awareness, we can't really have a plan. That's great. I'm now thinking of all the areas in my life where I don't have a plan and I don't know what's going on. Uh, good talking to you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now NFTs, you mentioned MetaMode or Mode Studios and now MetaMode, virtual events-ish. So at LDI, I did a presentation and somebody asked me a question about NFTs. And I said, uh, this is what I think. They're sort of like cryptocurrency. And then after the presentation, everybody came and told me I was absolutely wrong. And I had no idea what an NFT was. And they were right. It also turns out that you gave a talk at LDI about NFTs, about metaverse. I'll link to it because it's a really good 45 minutes of explaining NFTs and, and metaverse. These things just sort of blew my mind just because I wasn't really aware of them. But one, you said this artist people sold something for $69 million. And then you mentioned Fortnite concerts. And you mentioned K Katy Perry is going to have a Fortnite concert. There's up to 15 million participants or attendees at these events. And that's, that's a significant amount of people. And then you also mentioned the VMA Awards, which I watched on TV. I noticed that there were some virtual things layered on top of the TV screen. And I thought, oh, that's a cool scenic design. And in your talk, you mentioned that there was sort of an online event 
or something else going on at the exact same time. So there was people attending in a completely different way than I was. So these things all <laughs> intrigued me. Can we just start from scratch for your, your definitions and, and your perspective on all this, which is just what, it, what are NFTs in general and what are they used for in general? And then we'll get into your meta mode version involvement. Well, here's the giveaway. I'm going to give everybody the punchline right at the front, okay? And it's this simple. An NFT is a certificate of authenticity. It says that this one is the one, right? Which fixes a problem with anything that we want to term as digital art or a digital representation of a piece of art, whether it's physical or digital. Uh, what an NFT is effectively is a certificate of authenticity. So if you've been at all confused about NFTs, if you thought you don't understand what they are, they, they are literally just a piece of code that says that this one is the one. And then they come with fascinating powers after that. Uh, they have an ability to have something called a smart contract, which can be embedded in them, which can help to define what the person who has that NFT can do with it, which can be either restrictive or generous. And it also oftentimes ensures that if you were to sell or trade that NFT to another party, part of the revenue for that, and this is very important for artists, part of the revenue from that secondary market sale will revert to the original artist. That's another common way that smart contracts are being used. So, and it's also important to understand, I think a lot of people have witnessed what Mike Winkleman did, people, uh, with his $69 million thing. And they're seeing a lot of other things. Maybe they're seeing bored apes or crypto punks or, you know, other kinds of avatars or maybe just other kinds of digital art that looks pictorial. And they've maybe decided that that's what an NFT is. But really an NFT is the mechanism behind that and it can be pictorial, but it can also be animation. It could be film. It can be sound files and songs. It can be real life experience as well, which is a which is something that fascinates me. And that I think as we as we talk, Ethan, that that's where you begin to dig down, and there's all kinds of applications to use NFTs with live experiences and live shows as well. So it's a certificate of authenticity. That's a great way to say it. Because I'm trying, my mission sort of is how to figure out, you know, I'm a lighting designer for theater. It's trying to figure out how do NFTs work in live events? How do you NFT a live performance? Well, you are, you know, it's dealt with in the smart contract. You know, look, as a lighting designer, let me give you a use case for an NFT that might surprise you. You might mint a plot, a light plot, which you and I know is the physical, the graphical representation of the, the arrangement of lighting that you're going to put into the theater, right? You might mint an NFT that is attached to the digital file of that light plot in order to claim ownership of it as the designer. So now your light plot, the, the plot you have drafted for this production on this show, if you mint an NFT and attach it to it, it's almost in a way like you got it notarized or you were you put a stamp on it and you said this is Ethan's, right? But it's in the blockchain now, which means that that it can't be corrupted, it can't be changed. And you now have an ability at any time in the future to say, nope, that light plot is my light plot because you have a certificate of authenticity attached to it. 
NFTs aren't always directly related to a financial transaction. And we are going to see industries like, like deeds, escrow, banking uh, statements, things like that. We're going to start to see NFTs attached to all kinds of things, and it will have nothing to do with the value of those things or an exchange of value. It will have to do with digitally ensuring that they are the genuine article, that that is the contract, the light plot, the deed, you know, and that, that's a whole nother way that NFTs are going to be used. It'll, it'll ultimately become so familiar, you'll forget it's happening. For instance, now there are, uh, you know, one thing that's fascinating that Mike Winkleman did, and Mike's, that's Beeple's real world name. And I know Mike, Mike has worked with Mode Studios on several occasions making video content for our shows. Um, and this was prior to him uh, having a $69 million sale of an NFT. But after Mike did, you know, achieve that lightning in the bottle with that sale, uh, the next thing that he did was to form a company that uh, started to mint NFTs that were linked to live experiences. So what they did is their first release, for instance, was around Wimbledon. Uh, they minted an NFT that was attached, first and foremost, the digital asset it was attached to was a highlight of the championship round of the men's tennis championship round at Wimbledon this last year. So that's the digital file that NFT was attached to, but contained in the smart contract for that NFT was um, an ability to get tickets to the next final, like it, it gave you the option to get those tickets, an ability to have lunch with champion who won that round, and then to play a round of tennis with that guy on the court at Wimbledon. And all of this is contained in the smart contract uh, for that NFT. So that NFT is actually, on the surface, it appears to be attached to a video highlight of the tennis match, but it affords rights and access to the person who owns it to have all of these premium experiences. This kind of attaching of an NFT to potential live experiences in that way, it's proliferating. It's becoming uh, a more common thing. And given how new it is, it's you're, there's still not tons and tons of it happening, but it is really beginning to happen. I'm also, for instance, aware of, I have friends who are working on producing their workshopping a new show. The way that they are going about fundraising, if we think about the classic model, for instance, for funding a Broadway show, uh, you'll get a few principal producers involved. Often they are institutional uh, producing organizations, if you will, Real Useful Group or Cameron McIntosh's company or you name it, right? They will often then line up a syndicate of other people who want to invest in a Broadway show, right? And you'll see that page in the, the Playbill, the program. Like It's like, how could there possibly be this many producers? But there are. That is the typical way that commercial theater is funded. What NFTs allow us to do, for instance, let's say I wanted to crowdfund my Broadway musical. I could begin to mint NFTs that were attached to sections of music. I could begin to attach to mint NFTs that are attached to the lighting design for Act One, Scene One. I could mint NFTs that were attached to the digital rendering of the backdrop for Scene Three, Act Two. 
right? And now I could make those available on the marketplace to help crowdfund my Broadway musical. Now, if I buy that NFT for the backdrop, it doesn't mean I can waltz into the theater and just take the backdrop away and go home with it because there'll be a smart contract that says you are sponsoring the backdrop. You get to own the original digital rendering created by, you know, David Gallo or, you know, name your famous, you know, Beowulf for it. I, I'm, I'm broadcasting from John Lee Beatty's uh, studio. Okay, John Lee Beatty, right? There you go. You get to get John's original digital rendering uh, of that backdrop, which is now a collectible. Uh, and also attached to the NFT might be two tickets to opening night, you know, and an opportunity to meet the star of the show. So now you've you've broken the show. You can bro break the show down into all these constituent elements that are creative elements that people could directly sponsor. This is a way to crowdfund an entire show in the theatrical model. So that's, you know, this is this is one way that NFTs are going to profoundly impact live live production. Oh my gosh, I think that's pretty brilliant to crowd yeah, to fund a show this way. Because yes, it's smart contracts are are laying out all the rules, but that's not actually really legalese contract. That's just how the NFT is going to work, and you can make sort of whatever you whatever rules you want or you can make. Yeah, and make no mistake, it is legalese. The smart contract, though it is code attached to an NFT, it is a real contract. And when you engage in the commerce of buying that NFT, you effectively sign that contract. It's like a, it's like an end user license for what you can do with that asset. I mean, I foresee this, you get the rights to act one scene one, and then that scene gets cut from the show. And then you say, hey, what happened? <laughs> well, then you get to, uh, you know, then you get an additional add-on to the NFT where Jack O'Brien sends you a personal video explaining why he cut the thing from the show. And it becomes its own kind of collectible where you're like, you get to own the unseen act one, scene one that was cut from Jack O'Brien's latest show. And only you get that. And that becomes an incredible collectible. And I, so. I also think with live events, these are great examples. I, I'm sort of looking at if you're like a stagehand, how do you use an NFT? And so I see how the producers use it. I can see how the ticket takers might use it sort of as a ticket, but I'm still thinking of like the stagehand is still doing the stagehand's job, not really involved with the NFT. The NFT doesn't matter to them per se. And it may not, you know, unless the stagehand is also an amazing digital artist and has their own practice, there might not be a use case for that. But, uh, you know, let's say you're Rebecca Jean Heroff and you're the prop master on a Broadway show, which Rebecca is. She actually creates a bunch of art around her prop work. Uh, she's on Freestyle Love Supreme right now. Uh, and she takes backstage pictures, like little whimsical backstage photos. You know, this is what's happening at, at, uh, at the show at five minutes prior or something. She could you know, for instance, potentially mint NFTs around those, although she will have to be very careful, of course, to respect any of the ownership rights for anything that's that's happening in that theater by the people who are producing it, right? But there's an example of a of a local one stagehand who, you know, could all already use NFTs. Shout out to Rebecca. She is super awesome. But in the same way that the head electrician probably doesn't have any relationship to the royalties to the points on the show, to the to the investment in the show on a Broadway show, they probably won't necessarily have any relationship or opportunity 
to use NFTs uh, in a in a financial gain sense as part of their workflow. You know, uh, you know, there there may be other ways that they end up using them uh, as part of the workflow that are more about authenticating information. That would probably be a more common use case for them. Until until you get to that random producer who says, "Give part of the show's NFT to everybody that's involved in it." I'll, that'll happen one day. It will. It will. There's and there's besides NFTs, there's other sort of. And you know what? I really don't like the words cryptocurrency. I feel like they make everybody that hears them think of like a Bond villain. You know, it's like it's like cryptocurrency. It just sounds like something frightening. Cryptocurrency and it's mysterious, you know, and, and evil. You know, <laughs> one million Bitcoin, right? <laughs> you know, but and so I yeah. prefer. I prefer a new word that's being bandied about, which is tokenomics, which is, you know, a different economic system, a, a different way to transfer value, whether that value is specie, you know, money, or that value is commitment. These things can be transferred in, in tokens that can be created and minted. Uh, so another way, for instance, that you could fund a show is you could do a re limited release of tokens associated with that show. For instance, if I were going to do the 2022 revival of Gypsy, I could have Mama Rose tokens, right? And I release a limited amount at 10,000 of 10,000 tokens. And by buying a token, you become a part of the investment pool for the show. You might get certain rights. Uh, that are allowed to you for the show, like the ability to get, get tickets to the show whenever you wanted them or to, you know, bring guests to the show or to, to, to do things. All of that can be set up in a similar way to the smart contracts around this idea of minting, literally minting a kind of a currency. And it's important to think of currency as a way to not only exchange value, but to exchange commitment, right? So in this case, the producer, me as the producer of the 2022 revival of Gypsy, I might mint this new cryptocurrency, these Mama Rose tokens, which I can then sell on the market to anyone who'd like to be a part of the production. Um, and those are different from NFTs, but they're, they're, they're in a more general approach. And there's a lot, a lot of sort of fan clubs that are, that are springing up around tokenization right now. For instance, um, you know, there's, there's a few big artists who are contemplating uh, Vegas residencies. So I'm going to make one up. I'm aware of a couple that I can't talk about right now, but I'll make one up for you. Let's say that Babyface is going to have his new Vegas residency. Um, he might release, you know, uh, uh, 15,000 baby tokens, which allow you to become super fans of the residency and get access to, you know, get access to premium tickets get access to after show meet and greets or VIP experiences by having that token, you are now part of a community that have self-elected, that have said, I am ready to drop $2,000 to be part of this committee and to get part of this community and to have access to upsell opportunities with the show and with the artist uh, later. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, tokens are another interesting thing to discuss outside of NFTs. Yeah, I actually really like that tokenomics because you're right, cryptocurrency. I guess I guess a crypto coin would be a token, the one type of token. Then an NFT is, is another kind a, of token. Yeah, different. Yeah, I really like that. Um, okay, so 
other words that put people off meta, metaverse. So metaverse, if I say that to somebody, they tend to say back to me, Facebook. In your keynote, you talked differently about the metaverse and meta, meta mode. First of all, did you name it meta mode before Facebook switched their name? Yes, we did. Before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. We, <laughs> we, we were, we were about, we we're about six weeks ahead of them. Uh, when we spun up that brand. Amazing. Okay. So, so, but by nature, just that name means that your company, I guess, knows about virtual events or whatever this all is. Can you sort of explain what you see the metaverse as and how, and tie into it, how meta mode is getting involved in all that? That's a really great question, Ethan. And a part of that question that I could talk about for a long time is what is a theater? So, because I know that most of your crowd is from the, you know, the theater world, right? So what is a theater and where do we do theater? You know, and during the plague, the plague, the bubonic plague, not the current plague that we are suffering from, theatrical artists left the theaters and took to wagons, which they would then roll up in the middle of a town square. People would watch from their windows while the performance was happening on the wagon. These became, in effect, virtual performances, right? The the, the audience was no longer in a theater. The performers were no longer on a a fixed stage. It was all mobile. It was all ad hoc. It was happening in the moment. It was opportunistic, right? I, I think our ideas of where a theater is are an interesting thing to think about. Now, let's take that statement and move it to our lives. And I think everybody listening to the podcast can acknowledge that our lives are getting increasingly digital, right? So rather than, you know, maybe meeting our friends down at the bar, like we maybe used to, we maybe meet them more often on Facebook. Uh, When we're looking for people of like mind, um, rather than, you know, going to a debate society or like, you know, finding some cool intellectual forum, we probably go to Reddit, right? And and when, you know, recently as a result of this, this plague that we've had, uh, when we view um, mass media, when we go to the movies, we are at the moment doing more and more of that in our home through our own screens than we're doing at the movie theater. Now, all of this can sound terribly dystopian and a little bit awful, but the, but the, but the thing is, is that, that there are high-fidelity, high-value experiences that happen in real life. There are also high-fidelity, high-value experiences that happen in the digital world. And there's also, you know, trashy, meaningless things that happen in both those places too, right? Um, so as, as culture gets increasingly digital, we are seeing increasingly that theater and performance and art are also happening digitally. One of the best things that Beeple did in making that $69 million sale is establish a way that digital artists could sell their goods. Because before a digital thing, I can right click on it, I can copy it, download it, now I've got it. What Beeple has done with his lightning in the bottle is shown the world that no, no, you can attach a certificate of authenticity to a digital thing and say, you might have a copy of it, but this one is the real one, right? So he, in one fell swoop, he has shown the world that you can be a digital artist to make a living. 
So as our lives are getting increasingly digital, where we consume culture is happening both digitally, you know, and physically. So you alluded earlier to, um, uh, I think you talked about maybe, I don't know which one I mentioned, but maybe DJ Marshmallow or Katy Perry appearing in Fortnite, you know. So there you've got a world, it's a virtual world, set up initially as a gaming world, right, where people can come in and game. Um, now there's a performance happening there, right? And when DJ Marshmallow did his show, you you pegged it. About 12 million people showed up to that show. And by the way, 12 million showed up when he played, right? Another, you know, more millions viewed it asynchronously after the fact. Yet, because of the nature of what that was, they got an impression and a sense and a feeling and an experience of being there in real time. Because rather than watching just a recording of a show, you know, kind of like I'm watching Hamilton on the Disney Channel, right? Instead, I am there digitally. I drop into Fortnite. I can move around. I have agency in this world. I can go right up on stage next to Katy Perry and look at her dancing. I can go up on the hill and watch. I can emote. And what uh, what Epic Games and Unreal did, which Unreal Engine is the, the game engine behind that, is they gave the audience all kinds of ability uh, to contribute to the production. So if you were you know, if you were really in the moment and you could dance, okay, that seems like a basic fundamental thing you could do. But if the crowd energy maybe gets to a certain level and a lot of people are dancing, now the engine unlocks the ability, for instance, for the cloud to start emitting rainbows, right? And to like contributing to the design in a tangible way. So, and again, it's important to note that this, for instance, happened live, but then it happened a couple of days later and for the people who experienced it a couple of days later, it was live, even though Marshmallow wasn't there performing at that time, but his avatar was, and the show unfolded in real time, and the people weren't watching it in a one-directional relationship like Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. They were having an experience of being there. They were having an experience of contributing. They were having an experience of collective energy. This is like a whole new form. Right. And this comes with what I think we're calling the metaverse. So Fortnite did this uh, recently. We've been involved in working with Unity and Insomniac on their uh, Electric Daisy Carnival uh, Festival, right, which is a big EDM festival that happens in Las Vegas. One thing that happened alongside of the live EDC festival is that they built a virtual version of it. In a in a in a video game construction environment called Roblox. Now, Roblox visually looks a lot like maybe a little like Minecraft or Legos, right? And it was conceived first as an environment where kids could create their own games, share them with their friends, and maybe even make a little bit of money off them, right? But what happened or what has happened is brands artists, both performing artists, producing organizations, in this case, Insomniac with EDC, they built an entire virtual version of EDC in Roblox. So at the same time the live festival is going on, you could be attending virtually in this embodied immersive environment. It had the aesthetic that it had, which is more playful and game-like, but 
it's immersive. You could wander from stage to stage. You could witness performances that were happening live and were being transported into Roblox using what are referred to as, as XR technologies, which are fancy you know, stage tech that allows us to take a performer from the real world and put it into the virtual world. So this is another example of something happening uh, in the metaverse. Uh, and so as we go forward, more and more of this kind of entertainment and this kind of art is going to be manifesting in this virtual world. And what that virtual world looks like is going to, as a result of computing power increasing and as a result of the cloud becoming more powerful, and as a result of the fact that we now have supercomputers in our pockets that are attached to a network 5G, which has enough speed, all of these check marks of technological advancement have delivered us to a point where, oh, now I can have a big audience in a very high fidelity rendered environment enjoying a show virtually where they have agency to respond to that show, to feel each other's energy, to give back to the show in the same way that we we feel and do in a live environment. So that's a whole part of the metaverse as well. The NFT part, the blockchain part is, is also an inherent part of something called Web3, which is sort of the big circle around all these technologies that are making this happen. Okay, so my understanding was that Web3 and metaverse were sort of interchangeable terms. Is metaverse sort of referring to the digital events or the virtual events? I think that that's how people think of it. You know, I think that people think of the metaverse and they think of Ready Player One. They think of putting on a headset, going into a disembodied world. That is definitely a part of the metaverse. But the metaverse is also about providing an alternative place for humans to meet, to learn, to be entertained, to do work. It's not just for the arts or for culture. The metaverse is having all kinds of useful applications in medicine and education and research, right? So, and, and part of that is the embodied experience. Part of that is are these kind of like 3D world constructs. And that's what people mean when they talk about Web 2 versus Web 3. Right now, we, we tend to, we're already living in a digital world for to a large extent, but we're, that world is flatland. And we're about to enter the age where that world goes beyond flatland and becomes embodied and immersive. So that's part of the metaverse. And I think that's what people think of when they think of the metaverse. I think the metaverse, and many, many, many other people agree with me, also includes the Web3 technologies like blockchain, NFTs, tokens, uh, cryptocurrencies, et cetera, et cetera. It's all part of that package. And here's the other thing. I predict that the word metaverse for this may well go away in the next couple of years. Uh, uh, and it, it will become, it'll be called something else. Okay, because because in my brain, I keep saying this imaginary Broadway metaverse that exists where it's a virtual Times Square and you go and you can walk into a theater and you can play the show from 1995 or the one from last week. And I keep calling that the Broadway metaverse in my examples. That could that would definitely be a kind of a Broadway metaverse for sure. But I think the metaverse is a much bigger container than that. So meta mode is the work you're doing that you're somebody else is building this 3D thing and then you're helping facilitate get entertainment into it? 
or are you building the 3D container or are you building displays within that that the attendees then come attend? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, look, MetaMode, MetaMode exists to do a few different things. One is this is not something new for us. I mean, for the last at least 10 years, we have produced a lot of or been involved in the creative direction and the production design for a lot of events that happen both in real life and virtually. You know, Mode designed the projection map sets for the TED conference for about five years. While we were doing that in the building in Long Beach, we were simultaneously broadcasting a whole virtual version of the show, you know, that people could be attending remotely. And there were there were tools and methods that those people could interact with what was happening on site. It didn't look like a 3D world version of it, but we had a whole audience that was participating that wasn't in the building. You know, they were in satellite sites, they were in their own homes or places of business. Uh, you know, in our practice, we've been thinking about productions that are happening live and are also happening in an adjacent digital space for a while now. What we seem to be working on now is what I'm going to focus on, because, because I have a hard time predicting how far and to what extent all this is going to go. It's going to get bigger than I can currently imagine the use cases for. But right now, for instance, we're working with certain performing artists to conceive of and to design tours that also happen on special occasions in a virtual version. So uh, in the same way that EDC, the Electric Daisy Carnival, had their Roblox version, we're currently working with a, a couple of different performing artists to produce a live touring show that will also manifest as an immersive virtual show that you could attend using a headset or just on the window on your computer. The, the mechanics would, would feel like a, a video game. We're also working with some brands and some also some other big performing artists to establish community hub, places where their fan base can gather. They might be able to participate in that community or, or have to find their place in that community by buying community tokens, which then identify them as members of the community with a stake in the community. And then where those performing artists can also set up marketplaces for their NFTs, you know, and the kind of NFTs that we're minting for those artists are, some of them are music. You know, I'll give you an example. Timbaland just released his latest I'll call it album, right? But we're heading into a, an era where it's entirely different. And rather than him releasing a CD or a collection of tracks or putting them up on the streaming services, what Timbaland has done is released them as NFTs. So you can buy the track on the marketplace or all the tracks on the marketplace. And, and by the way, isn't it interesting to return to a model where maybe you own your music, right? And it's not owned by Spotify and it might go away at any moment, right? In this case, I'm legitimately buying Timbaland's track. Uh, and what comes with that is the stems, the musical stem. So the fans have the ability to buy the track and to play it as Timbaland arranged it. They also have the ability to remix the stems into their own fan-based productions of those songs and then post them as NFTs in that marketplace to share with the other fans. And Timbaland continues to earn revenue from those fan-created NFTs. So that's a, that's a, a way, for instance, that NFTs are profoundly affecting the market for, for music. 
you know, and meta mode exists more to think intellectually and at a creative level about these. And then mode studios is handling a lot of the heavy lift of, of producing, you know, and part of that comes with web three development, which you don't have to know about to participate in NFTs. And I want to be clear about that. We are, because we're kind of doing soup to nuts work for certain artists and producing organizations or brands. But if you're an artist, you know, what I did when I first started to test this is, you know, I said, okay, can I, I would like to test myself. And this was about, I guess, the first time I did this, it was it was right after Beeple did his thing. I said, I, I said, okay, I want to see if I can figure this out. So I, I set the task for myself. I said, I want to turn cash into Ethereum, which is a kind of a cryptocurrency. I want to put that Ethereum in a wallet, which is the means that we carry cryptocurrencies around in the digital world and spend them. Uh, and then I want to get on an NFT marketplace. And in that case, I chose OpenSea, which is a marketplace that exists where anybody can put their art, whatever that art is, music, pictures, animation, video, anybody can post there. There's no velvet rope. All you have to do is have the assets and some money. So I set the task for myself. I want to make US dollars into Ethereum, put that Ethereum in a wallet, open an account on OpenSea. And what I did was I took uh, some concept renderings I had done for a design of an opera, Nabucco, four concept renderings. One of those four was the final backdrop rendering for the show. The three others were conceptual uh, illustrations that led to that. And I managed to mint those as, as NFTs to take all of the mystery out of that, what that meant was, I uploaded that image, I set certain terms in a template for the smart contract, which I only did two things. I said, if you sell this NFT after I sell it to you, I earn 15% of that revenue. And if you buy this concept rendering, one of the three smaller concept renderings, I assigned in the smart contract that if you buy this one, you are entitled to buy the full backdrop image, which uh, I priced the three concept images at $250 and I priced the big backdrop at $3,000. And you had to buy one of the 250s to earn the right to buy the finished backdrop. And I did all that. I, I did it, it and it cost to mint those NFTs on that night at that time, because there are fees that go with it that go up and down with how much activity is happening on the Ethereum blockchain. This is called gas fees. So I waited until the gas fees, which are the fees that you pay to have the Ethereum blockchain do the computing it needs to do to commit that NFT to the blockchain. I think it cost me about $200 that night to post those four pieces of work. Within 15 minutes of me posting them, an opera nerd in Germany who was also an NFT collector found them and immediately bought one of them. 15 minutes, out, and I never intended that, Ethan. This was strictly a test for me to see, did I understand this process enough to actually execute so that I could tell clients, yeah, we know what we're doing, right? I never intended that they would sell, but 15 minutes later, one of the 251s sold. And in the intervening time, the one that enables you or gives you the right to buy the super expensive one, it also sold. Uh, so now I'm like waiting to see, is that person going to exercise his rights to buy my $3,000 backdrop? But in a test case that cost me $200 to put up, 
I've already made $500. I'm just, and I say all that to make it clear to everybody listening, it is not black magic. To actually mint your NFTs right now, you could take some cash in PayPal, put it in a MetaMask Ethereum wallet, open an OpenSea account, and you could be posting NFTs today. And it can be that easy. You know, and it takes a little bit of research. You got to you got to kind of watch a couple of YouTube videos. And that's what I did. I, I spent a day watching YouTube videos and taking notes. And I'm like, OK, I think I have this all sorted out now. And then the next day, I just put the money in PayPal, moved it over to my MetaMask wallet, bought Ethereum with it, posted my things on OpenSea and started selling them. <laughs> and, it, and it just happened that fast. That's amazing. <laughs> so the Ethereum, so... You said the fees and everything was $200. You sold for 500, right? So then you come away with 300. Yeah. Then you've sold it, you're done with it. No more fees, right? So unless you get paid more and then I guess to exchange that, there might be a fee. There might be a little fee to move that money out of Ethereum and into cash. But you could close your account, right? If you so wanted to. Yep. Because I was going to ask about the fees because fees is something that's always worrying me and, and they can be and by the way the fees can be staggering and i want to be clear about this i waited basically i waited till about a little after midnight on a friday to mint the nfts to press the button to mint them and put them on the marketplace because the gas fees had fallen by about 60 percent. so you can hit peak periods in gas fees where you pay way more than what you're intending to charge for the thing to get it up there. And so you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware that that's a moving target. It moves intraday. You have to be aware of that. Now, another thing to know is there are new different cryptocurrencies that are being established, which have the ability to have NFTs and smart contracts that do not have this kind of gas fee. That is a, an artifact of the way Ethereum works. Blockchains work in two different ways. You do not need to understand this, but I'm going to say it out loud. Blockchains either work through proof of work, which demands huge computing resources, which costs money, and by the way, is not really terrific for the environment. The other way that blockchains work is called proof of stake, which demands a whole lot less computing and thus has a much reduced environmental impact and also an incredibly reduced cost. You know, at that point, the fees associated with minting an NFT look a lot more like just like the fees that, that you would pay your bank to keep your account open. They look like a very manageable thing and not a variable thing either that's like going up and down. Those blockchains like springs to mind. Tezos is a cryptocurrency where that's the case. Solana is another cryptocurrency where that's the case. So different NFT marketplaces work on different cryptocurrencies and there is a difference in the way those work as a result. Amazing. Well, you've given me a lot of confidence because I keep thinking I should make an NFT to learn how to do it. I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you to do it. This like you should you should do this Ethan. <sighs> Great. Now I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have given me the confidence that I can indeed do it. And I have seen a lot of people, uh, artists on the Tezos blockchain or platform. And so I'm going to try to get somebody on here to talk who, who creates on that platform um, to walk us through it. And then maybe thank you for the challenge to make an NFT <laughs> bomb <laughs> on the air here. And Tezos works just the same way, Ethan. You would just have to figure out how to turn cash into 
Tezos, which well, you don't have to figure that out. It's it's known. You would just have to learn, uh, and uh, and then you would spend your Tezos to to mint your uh, NFTs. And and again, it's something you could you could. I really everybody listening, I want to encourage you. You could do this this week. And anybody listening, if you do make an NFT, let me know. Email me artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. And let me know, just because I'm curious. <laughs> because if you're an artist and you're doing this, the other thing I want to tell you is you can't just build it and they will come, right? We already know this from being artists in the commercial world already. You have to market it. You have to energize your network. You have to get people talking about it. You have to be on social media. I mean, you know, being a commercial artist in this way isn't as easy as make the thing, make it an NFT, and then sit back. Uh, you know, it was a miracle that mine got bought the way it got bought. And that is not common, right? You have to, and what you have to do is build buzz around it, build the story around it. The more that your artwork has a narrative underneath it and some personal details, like people who are in the NFT marketplace are buying into stories. They're buying into sort of uh, uh, universes that they can participate in often. So the more that you can make your NFT collection or your artwork visible to the world and all the ways you can make it visible, social media, real media, just talking to people. And the more that you can give it a context that people can really dig into and find out more and you know get more detail on, the more successful those things tend to be. And I don't own any NFTs, but when I think about purchasing one, I myself think I'm not just going to buy a piece of art. I want to buy into an artist or a story or a movement. So I, I would be the one to buy the Disney NFT whenever they create theirs versus buying a sketch by a Disney artist, which sounds terrible of me, but... That's where my brain. <laughs> oh, no. And that's that's a, that, I think that that's a good expectation. And you should be. The other thing that you gave me confidence was you did it on Ethereum and your fees were two hundred dollars. But I'm always worried about the fees. But that was two hundred dollars. It was up front. You knew it was going to be roughly two hundred dollars before you committed to it. I did. Yeah. And you could adjust when you timed it. So if I want to get the fees down. So presumably I'm thinking I could go to Tezos and probably do it for much less than that much less absolutely so i could do it in a day and i could do it for less than 200 dollars. you've you've given me confidence for this challenge okay so i have kept you for an hour here i thank you so much for your time is there anything else that i missed or didn't ask about just an understanding that we are just scratching the surface right and i spend a lot of my time every day thinking about what's a way i haven't thought of that nfts could be used to empower artists and to extend our reach and our visibility and to and to and to create more places for the arts to happen. So, you know, if I were going to give you one more piece of information, it, it is this is just the beginning. And and I may sound like um, some kind of strange Pied Piper here, but I have a feeling and a sense and an intuition that we are at the beginning of a thing that's just as big as like when the web arrived. Right. Like we are about to shift into a whole new thing. And in our lives, I think we are about to witness a massive new marketplace, a massive new consumer culture and a massive new cultural opportunity. And I think every day 
artists who are thinking about ways that they can use this are going to find new ways to use it, new ways to connect to their audience, new ways to keep them gathered and engaged, and new ways to make a living as an artist where you get to control the revenue, you get to control the use of your intellectual property, and you get to stay connected to your fans and the people who want to collect your art or participate in your art. That's very hopeful, and I'm on board with that vision. Awesome. All right, last question for you. Where can people connect with you? Uh, there's a couple different places. I can be found on most social channels as Bob Bonio, one word. Uh, but you can also find everything I'm talking about that has to do with the metaverse, NFTs, and the worlds of blockchain at MetaMode Agency. So if you go on any of the socials, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and look for at MetaMode Agency, you will find me talking about the metaverse. All right. Well, Bob, thank you so much for sharing your time. I really appreciate it. Sure thing, Ethan. It was a pleasure to be here. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are an NFT is a certificate of ownership, nothing else. An NFT's value derives from what the certificate represents or the smart contract it's attached to. So when purchasing or creating an NFT, the value will relate to what the real world perceives its value is. What comforted me about this discussion is that it's already here. Just like MMT, modern monetary theory, is merely describing current economics, the metaverse is just describing how the internet and technology are now being used. And finally, the challenge. Bob challenged me and you to make an NFT. So if you do take action and create one, please let me know. I'll of course return the favor and let you know if and when I create one. So what do you think? Do you have an idea on how live event workers can utilize NFTs or the metaverse? Or is that left to the realm of digital artists and computer folks? So let me know by commenting on LinkedIn or email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. Lest you think we're now a show solely dedicated to NFTs, have no fear. Our next couple of episodes, we get back to personal finance. We'll have Stafford Arima, director of Broadway's Allegiance and artistic director of theater Calgary. He'll be discussing his finances throughout a creative career. And we'll have one of the producers of Emoji Land and the co-founder of the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, Jacqueline Bell, on to discuss personal finance basics to kick off 2022. If you're fortunate enough to have a best friend, please let them know about artistic finance. If you're not fortunate enough to have a best friend, let the next person you see know about us. I haven't spent any money on marketing or advertising, so every single listener has come through word of mouth. Letting others know is our optional fee for listening. It is wildly appreciated if you choose to pay that fee. And if you aren't able to tell anyone about us, but you'd like to pledge financial support, join my 24 favorite people in the world by becoming a patron and get early releases of episodes and outtakes from the show, like the outtakes from today's show, which are at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. And if you're already a patron, you are a wonderful person. And if you become a patron, you are also a wonderful person. And if you're waiting until you win the lottery to become a patron, you are also a wonderful person. So the last thing for the super listeners, and the definition of super listener is if you're still listening this far into the episode. 
If you're hearing this before December 31st and want to devote 13 minutes of your life to voting for the Broadway World Awards, I've fallen farther behind in the rankings since we last talked, which might dissuade some people, but I believe in miracles. So if you find yourself with 13 spare minutes, and perhaps you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who have phones and also have 13 minutes, please consider voting for Seesaw. So when we speak next, Christmas will be over. We will have one last episode before the end of the year. So continue to have a wonderful holiday season. That's it for today. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.